The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. For none now live who remember it. Hey there, party people and ring bearers. Welcome to another Boonta Eve after party. Joe here, making up one third of the Boonta Eve party planners. And with holidays just around the corner, it can be a little tricky to find the time for all of us to get together to record. And man, do we want to record considering that season finale of season two of Mandalorian. Hoo boy. We got some thoughts on that one coming up soon. But to tide everyone over, uh, here's another mini episode talking about the influences of Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Sure, you're probably thinking, what? Star Wars and Lord of the Rings have nothing to do with each other. But there is actually quite a bit of crossover between the two, and there's some inspiration there, which I think is kind of surprising. Anyway, prior to Star Wars coming out every holiday season since 2015, pour one out for the next couple of years, because we're going to be waiting a little while, um, but we do have Mando and whatever else they drop our way, which is good. I, I'm happy that we have something during Christmas to look forward to for Star Wars, because it has definitely become holiday of Star Wars for me, and I don't know about the other guys, but every Christmas and holiday season, I look forward to something Star Wars related now. But prior to that, prior to 2015, holiday season has always kind of felt like the time for Lord of the Rings, and I sort of feel like that is mostly because the movies always came out during the holiday season, and we would always go as a big group or friends and family, and those prior to Star Wars were the last few films that I saw in the theater multiple times. They're just great, um, especially the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's just a phenomenal series. The Hobbit, mm, I really do like Unexpected Journey, but the other ones are kind of kind of rough. Uh, I'm not going to lie. A little bit too much CGI. It would have been wonderful to see what Del Toro would have done with those films um, instead of Jackson picking them up. Anyway, so what I'm getting at here is there's definitely beyond just the release dates an influence of Lord of the Rings on Star Wars. It's kind of hard not to be influenced by Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is the originator of what a fantasy epic could be. So when we look at it beyond the artistry of the films and look deeper into the writing of J.R.R. Tolkien, we could definitely make some comparisons between Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and to some extent The Hobbit. But this all goes back way before Star Wars was even a thing. So let's compare two major cultural phenomenons. So... J.R.R. Tolkien was very much influenced by his time in the trenches of World War I. During that time, it influenced not only how he viewed the world, but also how he would come to create Middle-earth. Middle-earth, in a way, is a myth for Europe, and for Britain especially. For J.R.R. Tolkien, he felt like there wasn't enough myth. Sure, there's the Arthurian legends, and you even have Viking legends, which Lord of the Rings plays up very much in terms of inspiration. Much of the inspiration for Lord of the Rings comes directly from the Nordic myths and the Scandinavian countries. But in World War I, all of those concepts started to get 
more cemented in Tolkien's mind. He was seeing war on a scale that no one had ever seen before. And it's crazy. When you think back to wars prior to World War One, they weren't quite as mechanized. The closest you can get is the Civil War when you start to get rapid firing weapons such as the Gatling gun and repeating rifles. But up until then, war had been pretty much based on frontline combat and rows just like it was in the Civil War. World War One changed all of that. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie War Horse by Steven Spielberg, you kind of see how that changed. You were still using cavalry charges against artillery. So it's sort of a fruitless endeavor. For Tolkien, though, he was starting to see that there was a difference between war and nature and how vastly those two things combat each other. If you've ever seen any pictures from the battlefields of World War I, one of the biggest impressions you'll come away with is just how barren they are. And that's just purely because of the artillery bombing and the way the war was fought. There were trenches, it was raining, it was Europe. For several years, it was just a hell on earth. And that's what Tolkien was in. So when you look at Lord of the Rings, you can see the scouring of the Shire. You can see Mordor. You can see all these inspirations coming from World War I, the desolation of smog. All these things are directly influenced by his time fighting as a British soldier during World War One, And in those, he cemented the concept of industry versus nature. Beyond the biggest moral conflicts that happen in Lord of the Rings, the biggest analogy that's there is industry versus nature. So you have Saruman, who's creating an army of orcs through essentially cloning. Let's just call it cloning. Even though he's creating them, he's basically cloning the Urukai. And then you have Sauron, who has all of his forces in Mordor. And when they pull together, they basically destroy everything around them. They're cutting down all the trees. Mordor is a barren wasteland with a volcano in it. So there's nothing there. They have created the battlefield of World War I in Middle-earth. And then you have the Shire. You have the Hobbits. You have Rivendale and the Elves. These are all the forces of nature. These are all the elements of nature which are meant to combat the power of industry. I mean, in Lord of the Rings, you literally have the trees fight back against the powers of industry. Now you're thinking to yourself, what does that have to do with Star Wars? Well, Star Wars is the same thing. George Lucas was kind of inspired a lot by the Vietnam War and, to some extent, the Bush administration during the 2000s. The prequel series is very much based on the Bush administration. Well, for our purposes here, we're going to look at Vietnam. So Lucas kind of saw Richard Nixon as being the emperor. At the end of the day, that's who he felt was the emperor in his mind. So sure, Star Wars has always been political. But when we look into Star Wars, we start to see the concepts of industry versus nature. For Lucas, industry is the empire. The empire is out there strip mining planets, enslaving Wookiees, and basically just tearing the galaxy apart in order to create mechanized terrors, such as the Death Star. And even the Imperial Star Destroyers are built on such a scale that it's unfathomable they could be built with material that is coming from one planet, let alone hundreds. This industrialized nature is in direct conflict with planets such as like Endor and even places like Hoth. Maybe less Hoth, but there's nothing. I'm sure there's mining there. I'm sure after Empire Strikes Back, they probably set up a mining corporation. Same thing with uh, Bespin. Bespin mines gas. So there's a lot of industry going on. So the points we're taking here, Endor is the best example. Endor is this pristine forest planet that the Empire has just put a big shield generator on. And what lives on the planet but other indigenous creatures, such as the Ewoks? So these Ewoks are going to end up fighting back an industrialized army and win. 
The smallest parts of nature are going to be what ends up bringing down the Death Star. Without the Ewoks, the rebel forces on Endor do not win. I guess I should be calling it the Force Moon of Endor, but you get my drift. Anywho, the same thing happens with the droid armies on Naboo. Without Gungans, the Naboo forces would lose. It would have been up to Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, and they would have lost. It had the shields not come down, and little Anakin Skywalker hadn't made his way up to the Trade Federation ships. It would have been game over. It would have been the end of the saga right there, because Anakin would have been probably blown to bits, and he wouldn't have said yippee, and he wouldn't have married Padme, and he wouldn't have fallen to the dark side, and he wouldn't have killed a bunch of children. And yeah, that's that's the story of Anakin Skywalker in a nutshell. So the reason all that happens is because of the Gungans. So thanks a lot, Gungans. You did a great job. Way to create a, a child murderer. More man than machine. I'm kind of rambling, which I guess happens when it's just me talking. That's sort of what this is, I guess. So, without the Gungans taking down the industrial forces of the Trade Federation, you wouldn't have a Star Wars saga. Nature has beaten industry. If you don't have the hobbits coming from the Shire, the ring is lost. It will fall into the hands of Sauron, and it's game over for Middle-earth. But instead, everything is returned back to nature, and industry has been crushed. So that's sort of the big influence of Lord of the Rings on the original trilogy and the prequels. But there's other smaller things. One of the biggest themes in all of Star Wars is the concept of found family. And I, we've talked about this a few times on the main podcast. And, and I'm sure you've probably seen me write about it if you follow our Twitter feed or look on Instagram. But found family is a big part of Star Wars. You have Luke finding not only his birth family in Leia, but he also finds a family in Han Solo and Chewbacca, R2-D2, C-3PO. These are all people that are not part of his core family. In fact, his core family, Uncle Owen and Aunt Peru, are basically killed out in the first act of Star Wars. That's it. His family's gone. His family has now become Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo, and a walking rug. And then he finds his real family. And then he finds out even more problems that his dad is Darth Vader. Yep, spoiler alert. His dad is Anakin Skywalker, and he's Darth Vader. Same thing goes on with Lord of the Rings. When we look at Frodo and Samwise Gamgee and Merry and Pippin, they're sort of the family that is already together. They might not be birth family like Frodo and Bilbo are, but they're still found family. But the best examples of found family come not within just the hobbits, but the fellowship itself. Throughout their journeys, we find out that the fellowship ends up becoming just that, a found family. Two people that would more, normally be mortal enemies, well, maybe not mortal enemies, but they don't like each other, would be Gimli and Legolas. And by the end of the, geez, the two towers, those two are buds. They're like, they're best friends. Even in the books, they're, they're champs. They're, uh, they're good buddies. And that's, that's one of the best friendships in all of literature because it is so different. Elves and dwarves throughout all of fantasy for the most part don't get along even in the hobbit we find out the dwarves and elves do not mix very well but lord of the rings undoes that it shows that family can be found not necessarily born into and that's one of the biggest lessons that we learn in all of star wars so luke has his found family one of the biggest parts of the entire sequel trilogy is ray finding her found family as opposed to finding her birth family without friends no one wins without the found family of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, there is no victory against evil. Family is what binds us together. And just like Poe says at the end, it's it takes the galaxy coming together as one family in order to beat Palpatine permanently. 
I guess. And we'll see in 10 years whether or not he's dead or not. So we'll see. But regardless, that's one of the main lessons that I think Star Wars took away from Lord of the Rings. There's other little things here and there. Tolkien was one of the first people to really build worlds out of nothing. He creates languages from the air. Uh, sure, I think they're a lot based on the Nordic languages, which again, as I said before, is sort of a lot of inspiration for the Lord of the Rings. But George Lucas and his team did the same thing. They took the idea of building a greater universe out of something smaller. So we don't just hear basic English. We hear Huddies and we hear Gungan and we hear Jawaese, I guess. I don't know what it's called. Anyway, you hear all these different languages that are created just for Star Wars. It has its own alphabet. It has multiple alphabets, in fact, because there's different languages. So that's part of what I think they took from Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is one of the best examples and is the best example, in my mind, of world building. There are so many books that go into the history of Middle-earth that aren't just the Lord of the Rings. If you've ever looked at a, one of the books for Return of the King, you'll notice in the back the appendices, which is gigantic. There's so much material there that you could have stories for days, and I think that's kind of what Amazon's doing with their Lord of the Rings series. So we'll see how it goes. I think George R. R. Martin tried to do this with The Song of Ice and Fire, but it's not nearly to the level of Tolkien. But that's a hard game to come up with. Now, Lucas and his team, because I'm not saying just George Lucas did this, this was an entire group of people and still is the Lucas Film Group, created and expanded on the Star Wars that we know to build so many different things, so many different universes inside the universe. That's why going forward, there are so many stories that can be told in the Star Wars universe, because there's just so much there. There's so much that we can relate to and grab onto, and it doesn't have to always be human characters. We relate with the alien characters just as much as we do humans. I mean, who doesn't love Chewbacca? I haven't met a person yet who didn't like Chewbacca, at least in some way. He's just amazing, and he doesn't speak English. He speaks a different language altogether. Yeah, we're not going to talk about the holiday special. Sure, it's completely in Shariwook, and that might not have been great, I would say, 1979 when it came out, or 78. I don't have Malachi here to correct me, so... I'm probably totally off. Anyway, it's awful and you should watch it because it's like a time trap. It was enough to make people film an entire holiday special revolving just around Wookiees. So we have a lot to look forward to in the future of Star Wars. And I think that's a lot that we can credit to Lord of the Rings. But there are other minor inspirations that come from Lord of the Rings. Dave Filoni is hugely inspired by the Lord of the Rings trilogy and probably The Hobbit to some extent, too. If you've ever watched Rebels all the way through, you'll notice that Ahsoka is in that series, number one. Again, spoiler alert. But she goes from Ahsoka the Grey. She wears all grey. And in fact, in her Mandalorian appearance, she is wearing grey as well. But by the next time you see her towards the end of Rebels, she's wearing white. And the reason for that is she faced Vader and was thought gone, just like Gandalf faced the Balrog and was thought lost. Instead, she came back as a purer form of herself, and Ahsoka the White, just like the Gandalf the White that we see in the Two Towers. I'm hoping with the Ahsoka series that we get to find out a little bit more of that transition and find out a little bit more how she went from being just the Ahsoka that we know to this more refined Jedi that we see in The Mandalorian. But the idea of Ahsoka the White isn't the only thing in Rebels that seems to have direct inspiration for Lord of the Rings. I would say the Inquisitors almost in a way are Ringwraiths to an extent. Like, they're out there chasing Force users, just like the Ringwraiths are chasing the Ring. 
that's pretty much, I think, something that Filoni has taken from Lord of the Rings. I, I Don't quote me on it. I do know that he loves Lord of the Rings, and I know that he has made the parallel between Ahsoka the White and Gandalf the White. But I think there's a lot more going on there. So all this begs the question, what do we think is the greater trilogy? And I don't think, despite what Clerks 2 has to say, I don't think we can answer that. Sure, the movies are one thing, and the Lord of the Rings movies are fantastic, but we have to look at it as a whole. We have to look at the Lord of the Rings as a book, as a world-building experience, just like we have to look at Star Wars as a whole. Star Wars isn't just the original trilogy. It's the prequel trilogy. It's the sequel trilogy. It's everything that's come after. And they're almost too big to be categorized. To each their own. They're both fantastic, and I'm not even going to get into debate on which one is better. I love them both. Regardless, Lord of the Rings is Tolkien's myth for Britain and Europe as a whole in some ways. And I think if we look back at Star Wars, we can see that it's a myth for modern times. I think decades later, maybe even centuries later, we'll look back at Star Wars and think of it being our modern myth. And at the end of everything, that's probably the biggest inspiration that Star Wars takes from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities in storytelling and themes and characters, but in general, they're both these epic myths that stick with people. There's a reason every holiday season comes around that I think about Star Wars and I think about Lord of the Rings, because they've impacted us. They are our myth, just like we have the myths of a Christmas tree and Saturnine and Yule and Christmas itself and New Year's Day and New Year's Eve. All these things are part of humanity trying to come up with answers for the existential world around us. And yeah, this podcast might be a little bit more serious than some of our fun ones, but like Paco said, I'm not particularly funny. No, I'm not ha-ha funny, but I like to look deeper in things, and that's part of why I love doing this podcast. And as we reach out from 2020 and start to head into 2021, and if we don't have another podcast before the end of the year talking about Mando, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening. I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart that this has been a great, fun experience. And when we started back in May, I knew it was going to be something entertaining for us to do. And it's great to talk to Malachi and Paco. So I'm glad to have them in my life. And it's made 2020 tricky, but fun. And it's never been tricky because of this podcast. And this podcast has been one of the bright spots in 2020. But it wouldn't exist without you guys listening. So I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope to get to you soon with our recap of the last two episodes of Mando. Until next time, this is the Boonta Eve Party Planners After Party. Thanks for listening. Lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire With his long wooden pipe and fuzzy woolly toes He lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins He's only three feet tall Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins The bravest little hobbit of them all Bilbo Baggins He's only three feet tall Little hobbit of a